We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome to a little bit of a special edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Instead of trying to pick a topic today, we thought, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. So we will kind of discuss a few things and then have a, you know, a midweek mailbag, which we tend to do from time to time. And then, of course, a little bit before the show, there's an announcement that Notre Dame has landed a grad transfer, which we will get into also. So we had to kind of deal with that a little bit. Ryan's working on getting some stuff ready on that. And I've been watching film. So uh, one of the many, many reasons I absolutely love, uh, this new staff, because I can say, Hey, you work on the story. Let me work on the film. Although I think Ryan would have rather gone in the other way around, but, uh, so Notre Dame has picked up a grad transfer and his name is Chris Smith. Correct. Ryan. He is from Harvard. Mm-hmm. He is a, a graduate transfer. He was part of their, I mean, he was a starter for them last year, had, Five, I think five tackles for loss, three and a half sacks in 10 games because, you know, the, the Ivy League plays 10 games unless you make the postseason. Interesting player, Ryan. He's from Detroit, which I mm-hmm. like. I like that he's a Midwestern kid. I like that he's from Detroit. Went to Cranbrook, which, you know, that's a private school. Um, you know, his real name's not Clarence. It's Chris. Um, so he is, in, you know, I got a chance to watch a little bit of the film. And the thing I said to you, Ryan, was, you know, he reminds me of Jacob Lacey, right? Like he's he's listed at 293. You know, he's a bigger kid like on paper. But you look at him, he's not he's not a real big kid. He was listed like 260 up until this past year and he was listed at 293. So he's not he's not a big, you know, they, they would try to use him in in sort of two gap at Harvard and, and he wasn't great at it. When they would let him penetrate and kind of get up the field, that's where I thought he was at his best. Uh, so some things that uh, you know he'll he'll need to work on, but he'll get great coaching, obviously at Notre Dame. But look, he gives you depth, right? And that was a when Aiden Kanaana went down. I don't think the staff is super confident that Gabriel Rubio is ready now. He may get ready. You've got Howard Cross, you've got Jacob Lacey, and I think another thing too is with the desire to have Riley Mills as an outside guy. 
which I think is ultimately where. Look, we had an intel piece on the on the site last night, Ryan. And one of the things that, that I that I keep hearing is is that one of the standouts from the spring, and I've heard this from multiple sources, has been Riley Mills. But it's when I'm like, okay, well, when's he making plays? And it's always when I'm in conversation. It's always when he's as a big end. He just makes more plays as a big end. It's not a coincidence that the best game of his career happened when he was playing big end last year against Virginia. So I, I think they've got to find a made a way, a way to make that work. And if you're able to get, a, you know, if Chris Smith is able to come to Notre Dame and earn a rotation spot, if Gabriel Rubio can emerge, then maybe you have enough depth inside to keep him outside once Jason Adamiola comes back. And so, you know, I think that's kind of where a young man like this makes a lot of sense, to be honest with you, as long as, and this is my stance always, Ryan, as long as he's going to have to earn his keep just like everybody else does. That hasn't always been the case with transfers at Notre Dame, as we saw last year. But if he has to earn his keep and then he earns it and he can give you 10, 12 snaps a game, 10, 15, 20 snaps a game, great, great. And, you know, so so there's no there's no harm in this, right? As long as he's got to earn his keep, Ryan, this is this is a, a transfer that makes a lot of sense to me. What say you? Yeah, no, I think it makes a ton of sense. Like you said, I mean, you're getting a player that's very experienced. Like you said, I mean, he just came off of a first team all Ivy season. So it's I mean, he was a he was a good player for right. Harvard. Obviously, it's a step up. But I mean, if if you're getting a player that was an all league player at his level, and he's coming in just to compete as a depth piece. I'm completely fine with it, man. Like right. I believe, and I believe Brian. I could be wrong about this, but he was listed as a junior on the roster, so I think he also has multiple years of eligibility potentially. So he was at he was at Harvard, according to according to the roster. I thought I muted myself for a minute. Let me let me find this again. According to the roster for Harvard, mm-hmm. he is he was this was his fourth year. So I'm trying to find out. I'm trying to find that out, right? So and and 20, he missed 2020, right? Right, right. Yeah, the 2020 season. What I was going to say there is is the fact that obviously he had um, the season canceled. The Ivy League right. was canceled due to COVID. So he was a third year player. He's right. Got, so according yeah. to this, according to this, the his his bio at Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. He was part of the 2018. He was a, his first year at Harvard was 2018. Yeah, and he played in nine games. I mean, this is a kid that's been in the rotation for Harvard from the minute he stepped foot on campus. Uh, nine games for Harvard is basically a full season. Played in all ten games in 2019. 2020 was canceled, and he played in every game this year. So this is a kid that's played a lot of football at Harvard. Now he doesn't get like an extra extra year because of the COVID year because it's like with Jack Cohn, your COVID year and your redshirt year for a medical or any other can't be the same year. Right, you can't get two years out of one. So this would have been upcoming for him his fifth year, right? So I, but I think he'll have a chance to have another. I'm gonna have to look into that. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that because as soon as I start talking about that stuff, it starts getting a little bit screwy, right? But this should be his fourth year. This may be his last year. Again, I got to look into that. The, the whole COVID redshirt thing just really jacks me up. There's a chance he may have two years, but I think right now you're looking at this being a one year thing for now, right? and seeing how it goes. So I I don't think with the numbers that Notre Dame is talking about on the D line in 20, in the 2023 class, and the fact that they're trying to find an extra scholarship to try to bring in a fifth guy, I don't think they would take that away with this is kind of where I look at it, but you know, it's, it's an interesting situation, Ryan. So 
I, I like it. Look, and you're going to you're gonna pop in the film. I know what Ryan's going to do. As soon as this show's over, he's going to go pick up his daughter, bring her home, do what he's got to do as a dad. And as soon as she's either chilling or sleeping, Ryan's going to be popping on the film of Chris Smith from Harvard. So I can't wait to see that. So, um, But I, I, it's a good, solid pickup. Solid pickup. It's, it's, it's kind of like how I felt about Kane Madden last year, Ryan. Like, look, as long as this kid has to earn his keep, you know, it makes sense, right? The diff, The problem with Kane Madden was he was kind of, Handed a job and it was never it was never a competition. I don't see that being the case with this. I don't I don't see Al Washington. I don't see Al Golden. Nothing about what Marcus Freeman has preached from the moment he took over as head coach about competition, competition, competition would lead me to believe that this kid's going to be handed a job. But I think if as long as it's done the right way, I assume it will be. I think this makes a lot of sense. It, it yeah. makes a lot of sense because you're getting a, a. I mean, he went to Harvard. I mean. So he's smart, probably. He's going to handle the academic workload at Notre Dame, right? You're, you know, you're you're getting a kid to get graduate transfers. Normally, there's there's some background check stuff, you know. So this is a kid that doesn't have issues in his background as far as getting in trouble. So I would imagine he brings some some maturity, some leadership, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I see no I see no downside to making to making this move. Well, that's what I was going to say is I, I don't think there's much risk to this, right? Like if, if Notre Dame treats this the way that we think they are treating it, and it's the fact of like, Hey, Aiden Kiana was just, it was injured during the spring. You have one less body for the entire season. You have some de- I mean, and you've talked about it, Brian, with a little bit of the Intel stuff. It's like, you know, the interior defensive line, it's, it's a little sporadic right now. You know, it's a little bit up and down. There's some guys that they're excited about. Like I know Howard Cross is having a nice spring and mm-hmm. there's, other guys that they're excited about the potential, but I mean, you still need some reassurance inside right. and adding a player like this, again, the expectations are not that he's going to come and start, but Chris Smith has played a lot of football. So I don't think that he's going to come into a practice. That he's going to look out of place. I think he's going to be able to at least compete and give them some depth. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There's a little bit of other news yesterday, Ryan, Mm -hmm. that broke, and that is that Notre Dame is going to play Tennessee State in 2023. 
It's going to be the second game of the year. It's going to be September 2nd. And boy, I was a little upset with Notre Dame. If for no other reason, then did you have to drop that on my anniversary? Because like I'm sitting there trying to handle just relax my wife and then I got to deal with this stuff all night. Right. And, and I have, I have a lot to say about this, Ryan. And, and I feel like the problem is, is like people have kind of entrenched themselves on two sides and there's no conversation being able to happen right now, which is really frustrating me. And you see it on Twitter, which you expect on Twitter because most people on Twitter don't know how to have grown up conversations. Right. And then you have on the board, there's been better conversation on the board, but still it's like people are just not trying to hear the other side's point of view. Here's my stance on this. Number one, I understand why this game is being played, right? A lot of people are like, well, no, no, you don't understand. Look, look, I, I understand. I don't have to, because I don't agree with something doesn't mean I don't understand it. That, like, that's silly. I understand it, right? There's a lot of reasons for it. You're, you're trying to, it's kind of like the move with Howard, right? Like Notre Dame. And if you understand Notre Dame's history, going all the way back to the Newt Rockney era when they were battling the KKK with the, the, the involvement from Father Hesburgh and Notre Dame during the civil rights movement. There's a lot of things to say, yeah, it would make sense that in an era where there's an emphasis on trying to promote the historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, that Notre Dame would be one of the big schools that's going to kind of not only just play them because, you know, the Power Five schools play HBCU schools, but to make it in a way where Notre Dame is going to promote the game and not treat it as just like a an FCS cakewalk that we're, you know, using to pad our, you know, pad our schedule to get guys reps, right? They're having a press conference today and all that kind of stuff. Eddie George and Marcus Freeman are both Ohio State alums. It's it's one alum trying to help up another alum and build up his program. Because let me tell you something, for Tennessee State, going on the road and being like, hey, look, we, we're playing Notre Dame is going to be a great recruiting tool. It, it is. And so there's a lot, I, I understand. And then, of course, Tennessee State being the reason why also is of all the HBCUs to play football, I believe Tennessee State's the closest. It's Nashville. Nashville's, what, five and a half, six hours away from South Bend, right? It's to get to D.C. where Howard and Morgan State and all those are, it's, it's a longer trip. So I believe this is also the closest. So all the things make sense. And my opinion is if you're going to play an FCS school, I'd rather it be a situation like this than Indiana State or Illinois State, where it's just... It's just a it's just a throwaway game, right? At least this way it can be it can be spun in a way where there's more meaning behind it, right? And the reality is is if you don't think that there's going to be recruiting benefits for Notre Dame in this, you're you're not thinking like you're not being thoughtful enough about the situation. The reality is, is two five star recruits last year turned down offers from every school in the country, including Notre Dame to go to an HBCU, to Jackson State, right? You're seeing guys like Deion Sanders and Eddie George be taking head coaching jobs, and they are, especially in this era of NIL, they're going to go out and get – they're they're just going to get more of these kids. So for Notre Dame, say, we can, either, we can either pretend it's not happening or we can embrace it and embrace it in a way to where you're going to be able to kind of say, look, we're doing our part to help, and it's going to be noticed. Look – I'm telling you, the, the conversations I've had in the last 24 hours, less than that since this broke, Ryan, it's being it's being received extremely well by the people that Notre Dame wanted it to be received well by. It, it is. It's not being received well by the people that Notre Dame doesn't care if it's received well by, and that's the majority of their fans. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Because 
the flip side of this and the reason why ultimately, so I understand all of it, Ryan, but I still don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is twofold. It has nothing to do with Tennessee State. It has nothing to do with any other FCS program. It's that right there. It's the FCS part, right? And one of the, just the points of pride that Notre Dame fans have been able to hold on to, and there aren't many left, is that they've never played an FCS school. And that's gone. That's gone now, right? Like, and I had a friend say, look, it's just a one-time thing. Yeah, it's a one-time thing probably, you know, or may, you know, they may do these every now and then. It's not going to be a regular thing, I don't think. But no matter if it's a one-time thing or not, that's gone. You can't say we've never played an FCS school. The number two thing is practically speaking, unless they're able to schedule a road game against Hawaii, and I'm looking at Notre Dame's schedule right now, Ryan, and they have a game in Ireland. They have road games against Clemson, Stanford, Duke, Louisville, NC State. The odds of Notre Dame scheduling a seventh game away from home is slim to none. This isn't a move to like, let's do this and then play Hawaii. Plus, playing Hawaii doesn't really do a whole lot for you on top of this. So to me, what this is about is where where, it, where I really dislike this is Notre Dame has always been able to say, it takes you to play your conference championship game to get to the number of FBS games we've played. And they can't say that anymore. Like they're going to play fewer FBS games than just about any team in the country that's play, that's competing for a playoff spot, right? Which are usually conference champions. So now if Notre Dame is 11 and 1, they're going to have 10 wins over an FBS over FBS teams at best, right? And that's just not going to carry the same cachet. And so now you've almost guaranteed that you need to be undefeated. And some people say, well, they already needed to be undefeated. Nonsense. Because the last time Notre Dame made the college football playoff, they were a one-loss team. In 2017, Notre Dame was all the way up to number three with a loss in the college football playoff. If you go back to 2015, Notre Dame was in the top four with a loss in the college football playoff. And so, in my opinion, this is a situation where you have now almost guaranteed yourself the need to go undefeated. Because even if you look at the schedule and it's it's not a super sexy schedule top to bottom it's super top heavy it's ohio state usc and clemson on the road the the problem is you don't know how good usc and clemson are going to be there's this assumption that usc by 2023 is going to be a great team and, and maybe they will be but we don't know that and and same thing with clemson like right now clemson's trending downward we don't know how good clemson is going to be next year so, you know, to me, this just doesn't this just doesn't help Notre Dame at all. And at the end of the day, sentiment and emotion and all that other stuff aside, my number one priority for Notre Dame is competing for a championship. The number one thing you owe your players and your coaches and your fans uh, is a chance to play for a championship. And if if USC, Ohio State, and Clemson are as good that as everybody thinks they're gonna be, then what happens is is that it's going to be really hard to run the table because let, let me let me let me break it down for you. I, I think people kind of want to talk about well, you know, you know they they got to go undefeated. Nick Saban's won what six national championships at at, at at Alabama, right? I'm looking at his his deal now. He's won six national championships, seven total, right? So if you look at LSU, five of those seven championships were won in a year in which he had a regular season loss. So Alabama, for all its greatness, has had seven years where it's won a cha- or, or six years where it's won a national championship, and in four of those years, they made it to the playoff with a loss. 
because it's hard to go undefeated and it's hard to go undefeated consistently. And when you play the kind of schedule that Notre Dame's going to play at the top, it can be challenging. And if those teams end up not being as good, and let's say Clemson's a nine and three team again, like they were this year, and USC's an eight and four team, and only Ohio State's good, then what is your resume built on? Because after those three, it's Navy, Central Michigan, Wake Forest, Stanford, Duke, Louisville, NC State, and Pitt. Now, if NC State and Pitt are as good as they were this year, you're fine. But what are the odds of that being the case? So there's just a lot to this, Ryan, that practically speaking for the things that I care about. Because look, the FCS thing, it's it's over with, right? Okay, they, they, they're they going to play in FCS school. So whatever. It sucks, but there's nothing I can do about it. But the practicality of this and what the impact it could be on Notre Dame's ability to play for championship is going to last for a while. And that's going to be the talking point that I'm going to spend most of my time focusing on. Well, that was my, that was my main takeaway when I saw it too, was that, I mean, Notre Dame always has a somewhat of a smaller margin for error comparative to some schools that have a conference championship game and have that 13th game. Right. But the fact now that you have a situation where you have 12 games without a postseason championship in the conference, and now only 11 hold a great amount of weights because there's no, I mean, no disrespect to an FCS program, no disrespect to Tennessee State, but that's one of the biggest pluses, I think, for Notre Dame is the fact that, like, hey, you, you, historically speaking, Alabama's going to have a mop a, a couple easy games, right? Like they're going to have an FCS opponent. They're going to have a lower level group of five opponent. And they're going to have those games that are kind of like, because, you know, oh, the SEC is so daunting and they need a couple of those games kind of mixed in. Notre Dame doesn't really have an off week. You know, even their perceived easy games are like, you're, you're transitioning real quick and playing the triple option of Navy. It's not easy. You know what I mean? So I think that you just made the, a smaller margin of error. Uh, to obviously make that step to a championship even smaller, which Mm -hmm. I get it. I understand why the move was made, but I don't think that practically speaking, it is the best for what the program needs personally. Right. Agree. And there's some really bad arguments being made on both sides. In my opinion, the one that, that, that being made for the justification for it is, well, Bama plays FCS teams. And the reality is, is Notre Dame's never going to get the benefit of the doubt that Alabama does. Like, you all have to understand this. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, sometimes we have to accept reality. And the reality is, Ryan, of this situation is that Alabama is in the SEC champ in general or or two best teams in the SEC are always going to get the benefit of the doubt that other conferences and teams are just not going to get, which means you can't have an equal record to that team, right? Like Corey D says, New Alabama has made the playoff despite not playing in the SEC title game. That happened once, right? In six years, that happened once, and that was in 2017. So if Notre Dame goes out and wins four national championships between now and that time, then they'll get the benefit of the doubt. Right? That's why Bama gets the benefit of the doubt. They'd won four championships already. And then, of course, they get in in 2017, win that year, and then win again in 2020. So Notre Dame's not going to get that benefit of the doubt. Notre Dame was a team that some people were pushing to not be in the playoff as an undefeated team in 2018, right? Now, that's a media thing, and the committee hasn't been that way, but the committee changes annually. So far, the committee has been favorable to Notre Dame. We may not know if that's the case moving forward. So you have to position yourself in the best way possible and in my opinion, this doesn't do that when you already have a pretty soft schedule. 
I mean, Notre Dame's schedule that year, the first three games of the year is going to be Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan. I mean, you know, like I'm not a big I'm not a big proponent of playing the gauntlet they used to play, but at some point in time, it's like, you know, come on now. Like you're playing Louisville, you're playing Duke, you're playing Stanford, you're playing Wake Forest. Like the home schedule, it's gonna have two really good games on it. But other than that, it's not a real sexy home schedule. It's Pitt. It's Clemson, it's, I mean, USC and Ohio State, then it's Central Michigan, Tennessee State, and Wake Forest. You know, I mean, so it just, I look at it and I just, you kind of scratch your head and say, I understand where they're coming with it, but at the same time, I can understand why they're doing it and still think it's the wrong decision. That's what I don't think people, like, are willing to embrace. Like, no, 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 you don't understand what this game means. Oh, I, I know completely what this game means, and I can understand completely why Notre Dame is doing it, I don't have to like it. I can agree with it or understand it and I like it, but it will have positive impact. It it will. There are going to be positives from this game. The reality of it is, is it's just the, the positives are not run the risk of being outweighed by the fact that it could cost your chance to play for championship because the 23 team is the, I think this 22 team has a chance to be really good. Mm-hmm. Can it be a championship team? It's still early yet for that. The twenty three, the twenty three team is the one that everybody's kind of pointing to and saying that's the year where Notre Dame could be really good. Yeah. You get Ohio State at home, and you know now you've 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 made it to where if your team doesn't run the table, if they don't sweep Clemson, USC, and Ohio State, which is not easy, then you're you're going to have a good chance of being left out. Well, I, lo- I love this conversation because I think that I think what a, a healthy conversation is that you understand why someone did something and you understand both sides of the argument, but you still mm-hmm. have a conversation about why it's not right. And I, I right. think that this is because I, I mean, let, let, let's call it what it is. I, I saw someone in the in the chat say if Notre Dame's playing their best football, it doesn't matter. And you're right. If they're 12 and 0 and they're a great team, it doesn't actually matter, I guess. But if if they're 11 and 1, they have. You know, you just mentioned they have Ohio State a couple times on the schedule. They have Clemson on the – I mean, it's perceivable that Notre Dame right. could be a really good team, a, a championship-level team. team, and go 11-1. and one. Like, it's very – I'm going to say it again, Ryan. Nick yep. Saban has won six titles at Alabama. He had a regular season loss in four of them. But he had the SEC title game in, in, in three of those four years. Or, you know, no, he had a, a SEC title – yeah, SEC championship game in three of those four years mm-hmm. to make up for that. The year he didn't have the SEC title game, they had already won four titles. And again, you're going to, if Notre Dame goes out and wins a championship, they're going to get more 11 and one benefits of the doubt. Right. But that's not the reality. Now, if Notre Dame wins a title this year and they're 11 and one and there's other 12 and one teams in 2023, Notre Dame will have a good shot of getting in. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, so, so that could happen too. Right. And, but that we don't know that that's going to be the case yet. We can only go off of what we know now. So, I understand it. I think there's going to be a lot of benefits to it. Somebody said, well, this game's going to be on Peacock. There is no way in heck that Notre Dame is going to have this game. That would be the, that would be everything that you did to try to gain notoriety from this is gone. If you try to put this game on Peacock gone, that'd be stupid. And I hope that Notre Dame's not that stupid. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a little, it's a little. Uh, somebody said Nick Saban has five titles in Alabama. No, he has six. Nine, 11, 12, 15, 17, 20. That's six. Mm-hmm. Six. 
So uh, he has seven total. So any, anyway, end of the day, Ryan, this is the, people are not going to change their minds. I have yet to see anyone like accept a, an opposing. I mean, I've seen like maybe, let me rephrase it. I want to be accurate here. I've seen a couple people be willing to like, kind of be like, Oh, okay. I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. Like it, but you know, the funny thing is the people that have been more willing to be open-minded of it are the people that were against it. Cause then they're like, there's no value to another name. I'm like, well, there's some value. And then they're willing to embrace that. There is some value to it, but still don't like it. I have yet to see anybody that embraces this game, be open-minded enough to have, an understanding of why others may not like it. Oh, it's just, oh, it's your re- you're weird and you're, you know, you're, 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 you don't get it or whatever else. It's like, um, no, I get it just fine. You're incapable of having a rational grown up conversation is the problem. Right. You know, and I don't know if it's virtue signaling or what it is, but look, the reality is, is, is there are two legitimate sides to this argument. And that's all I really care that people do engage in the legitimate sides on both sides. And at that point in time, I don't care what side you come down on. Right. It's just be willing to be at least, open to why this is a good idea and on and be open to the idea of why this isn't a good idea. And that's all I, that's all I ask for, for people to do on the message board. And I've seen this, like my guy D rock said, it's a PR move and, and, and to a degree it is, but I think it's in a PR move in, in the best possible sense. Right. I don't think doing something that's a PR move is always a bad thing. Right. I think sometimes that's a good thing. But I think it goes beyond just a PR, and I think it does fit with Notre Dame's history. I mean, you can't deny that Notre Dame doesn't have a very engaged, active role in cultural issues, especially those that have to do with race. And again, we can go back to when Newt Rockney was the head coach. I believe that's when the KKK brawl happened, right? When the Notre Dame players and students went out and fought the KKK when they came to South Bend. I believe that was during Newt Rockney. Some, some of the fans in here will be able to tell us if we're wrong on who the head coach was. And then you look at, again, what a lot of the stuff that Father Hesburgh was involved with during the, during the uh, civil rights movement. So I think this fits with who Notre Dame is in a lot of ways, right? And you can't dismiss that and just chalk it up to simply just a, a PR move, if that makes right. sense. Well, and, and my, my, object, my objection to the scheduling of it is not that it's an HBCU school. I, I mm-hmm. think that's great. I love the fact that we have had now, Deion Sanders and Eddie George and some notable players that have, you know, that are going to these schools and are bringing the right. the relevant. Well, I don't want to say relevance because it's always relevant, but bringing the the. No, you can say relevance because let's be honest, nobody's talking about Jackson State in Tennessee State if Eddie George and Deion Sanders aren't there. Mm-hmm. Can anybody in this chat name tell me who Jackson State's coach was before Deion Sanders took over? It's fair. Or who Tennessee State's coach was before Eddie George took over? It's okay yeah. to say that because, but that's the whole point of why they went there, Ryan, was mm-hmm. to to say, hey, I'm trying to do something, yeah. right? I'm trying to create an opportunity mm-hmm. for something. I'm trying to restore to glory an institution that used to be a a really, like, I don't think a lot of people understand the history of the HBCUs yeah. and and what they were before certain movements happened that really took a lot away from them mm-hmm. and there's a push to have them be restored and that's been happening for years really the the previous guy in charge of our country had done some things to to promote that so we can't like like to, you were saying ryan is if you're gonna do this play an fba fcs school do it right right and i think that's where a move like this says okay if you're gonna do it 
do this because if you're playing Indiana State or Illinois State or Youngstown State, Ryan, there is zero, zero anything you can say to justify mm-hmm. playing that FCS team. Nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree completely. Like, if if we were sitting here today and Notre Dame had scheduled, I mean, you said Illinois State is one, so, like, let's use Illinois State, for instance. I would be even more harsh on this. It's not the fact that it's an HBCU. It's the fact that it's an FCS competition when you only have 12 games on the schedule. Right. That's the point-blank period of it. It says right. nothing to do with what school was chosen. It has the fact to do that Notre Dame is already dealing with a smaller, larger-than-error than most universities in most conferences, and you just made that margin for error even smaller. That's the point blank period to the conversation for me. Right, and if you can't if you can't ex- understand that, or at least be willing to to be to listen to that argument, then you're really not engaging in good faith. And that's sort of been my my issue with this conversation. So, anyway. It's done. It is what it is. Notre Dame is going to have a press conference today at three thirty to talk about it. Um, you know, so I'm going to. I mean, some of the responses in here. It yeah. I mean, I mean, if we wanted to just like real quick, and I mean, there's no no disrespect. Yes, it is different than playing Ball State or it, a, a it is. Ohio. Yes, Ryan. Yeah. This is the other thing that frustrates the crap out of me. New Mexico. Right. Everybody points, well, you know, Notre Dame played New Mexico and Bowling Green. Like those teams consistently beat good. Like Georgia Tech this year played Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State was a playoff team that lost two games this year. That's it. Two games. They beat Kennesaw State by like 30. Kennesaw State was a playoff team that won a playoff game. I, I looked at this, the, uh, the 12 playoff teams. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find the stat because I put it on. I put it on the message board yesterday because because that was one of the main things. Well, there's no difference in playing, you know, Ball State, Miami, and this other kind of stuff. And and I'm like, yeah, there there's a really big difference. So just give me a second to find this this data because I mean, it, it just some of the stuff is just that you the, the responses are just silly. If if you think that people don't understand that, yo, we, we don't like this because we're white. That I saw that response. That's the stupidest thing I, you could say about it. Like you you you, it's it's it's. It's putting motivations on people without even hearing what they're having to say. And that's just silly and childish and won't be tolerated, to be completely honest, in this channel. So if you're not willing to have a grown-up conversation and you want to try to make petty insults of people that you don't know, you're, you're not going to be posting here. So just keep that in mind as people are responding about, about uh, different things. So um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find this. I'll just give me a second here, Ryan, because this just chat was like eight pages long. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So Bowling Green went the year that Notre Dame last year, Notre, Notre Dame or Bowling Green went three and nine. One of their wins was a 27 to 10 victory over Murray State, an, an FCS team who went six and five. Tennessee State went five and six. Right. In 2019, right. Bowling Green beat Morgan State 46 to three. In 2018, they beat they beat a seven and four Eastern Kentucky team. Uh, and in two seven, 2017, they lost to South Dakota by a touchdown. SC, uh, South Dakota that year was a playoff team. Bowling Green, I believe, that year went 1-11, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but they were really bad. That might have been, that might have been uh, New Mexico that, that, that went 1-11 that year. So let me, let me find this out because I want to make sure that I'm accurate. Bowling Green, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Bowling Green, the year that they lost to South Dakota, was 2-10. So I was I was wrong on that. They were not one and eleven. They were two and ten. 
and they uh, in 2016, Bowling Green, okay, who again not good. Bowling Green was four and eight that year, beat a nine and three North Dakota team. Okay, in New Mexico went two and nine last year. One of their wins was over an FCS team. In 2019, they went two and ten. One of their wins was over a Sam Houston State team that was seven and five. In 2018, they beat an FCS team 62 to 30. In the next year, they beat an FCS team 38 to 14, and they pounded South Dakota, the team that beat Bowling Green 48 to 21 in 2016. Right. So, I mean, these are bad, some of the worst FCS teams in the country, and they're consistently beating FCS teams with winning records. If you look at the playoff teams, all every playoff team that beat an F that, that was in the FCS last year, they went six and 12 against power five teams, six and 12. And if you go through and look at the teams they beat, it's not an overly impressive group of schools. Like the only good win on there, I think it was like over a seven and six Tulsa team. The rest of them are over like four and eight Colorado State, one and eleven UConn. I mean, here we go. The six, the F, the playoff teams in the FCS. Their six wins last year were over seven and six Tulsa, four and eight Washington, three and nine Colorado State, two and ten Vanderbilt, two and ten UNLV, one and eleven UConn. Those playoff teams also. Somebody said, would Notre Dame have gotten in if they'd have played, you know, an FCS team instead of South Florida? South Florida last year went two and ten. One of the teams they beat was an FCS playoff team. Kansas last year went 2-10. and 10. One of the teams they beat was an FCS playoff team. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's a big difference between the worst teams in the FBS and the worst teams in the, be- in the best teams in FCS, with the exception of about four or five schools. North Dakota State would be a bowl team in just about every conference. Would, would Well, let me rephrase. I think they'd be a bowl team if they jumped to a – bigger conference, mm-hmm. right? I think they would be one of the best teams in the MAC now, in my sure. opinion, because they could easily rectify not having 85 scholarships in one off season. You know what I mean? They'd get grad transfers. They would fill that out. No problem. If they made the leap next year to, to FBS, they would fill out their 85, no problem. And they have legit NFL players on their team. They would, they would be the best team in the MAC within two to three years, if not year one. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's why they win the championship every single year, because they're the exception. Yeah, right. And there's there's only there's only a couple of them that fit it. Like you could say maybe South Dakota State may be in a similar conversation. Maybe a James Madison, you know, pretty consistently over the last few years. But I agree with you. I mean, th- those are those are the clear exceptions. There's always, and th- that's why those teams always get brought up as teams that can potentially move up. Like, why don't those teams move up? Because they dominate the competition at their level. So, I mean. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right. It's, there's there's a definitely a clear difference between an average FCS team and the worst of the FBS. Like there just is. I mean, it's 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 outside it's, of five yeah. or six teams a year. Exactly. It's like the worst teams in FBS would consistently beat the best teams, and and you know it's like. UConn is basically working like an FCS team. If you look at their scholarship numbers, they're an FCS team. I mean, so yeah, that's why they're losing. Same with UMass. Some teams need to go back to FCS because why? Why do people say UConn needs to go back to FCS? Because they can't, they're not competitive at this level, right? Same thing with UMass. So you know that's just the reality of it, right? And and you know, as John A. One said, most HBCUs today get destroyed by the best FCS schools. True, but I think that's changing, and I think that's what moves like this are attempting to do 
is, you know, Marcus Freeman having a relationship with Eddie George, Tennessee State being the close, I believe they are the closest FCS school that plays football, correct? I, I can't think of anybody that's closer because Howard is further away. Morgan mm-hmm. State's further away. And then you get down to like, you know, Virginia Union, those are D2. Virginia State's D2. Norfolk State's further away. Um, Elizabeth City, I actually committed to Elizabeth City State in high school. That's D2. So, yeah, I think Tennessee State is the closest of the HBCUs to Notre Dame, along with the fact that there's a relationship there between the two head coaches. So it makes sense, and I think that's what this is about, right? Like, you're trying to help these schools because one of the biggest problems that HBCUs have, and this is just as an institution, as institutions from everything I've been able to read over the years is there's been this push to try to help is try to help create funding because their funding is, is a problem. And so these, this is an attempt to say, look, what's the one way we can help them compete is to give them the, you know, to help them with resources to then go be more competitive. So I think that's kind of part of this push, right. Is to make them to, you know, in response to what John said, because he's right. Most of the HBCUs do get whooped up by, the better FCS schools. That's why they usually get knocked out in the first or second round of the, the MEAC teams almost always get beaten the first or second round of the, of the playoff. Right. Like for all the, the greatness Eddie Robinson did, I don't think he ever won a nat, like a, a, a playoff championship. Right. I don't believe he ever did. Not well, in the years when he wasn't allowed to compete for it, but I, I don't know if that's changed at, at this point, but I, I thought the uh, HBCU teams, at least now, and I, I don't know if this is like a traditional thing. I don't think they qualify for the playoffs, right? Like for they have time. their own. Oh, they did for a time. For a time, they they okay. didn't. They do now. They do now. But that I, I thought, was part of the I issue with they... Eddie Robinson. There was there was a long period of time where they couldn't make the college football, the, the the playoffs. Gotcha. I, th- I thought they still competed in like that Dream Bowl, which I thought was like a right. separate entity. To right. That. They would always then they had that on like NBC, I think, for a long time. So you know, but again, it's like it's just a different. It's it's. I think that's where a lot of this push is coming from. Is to for Notre Dame anyway, is to say, look, let's get them on the schedule, and you know, because they're going to get a big payday from them. that's a big. I mean, the biggest thing for 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 Tennessee State, there's two. The one is, hey, we're playing Notre Dame. That's going to be a selling point. I think playing a school like Notre Dame, whether you agree with it or not, is going to give you a level of um, validity that that you don't get just by playing in you know Tennessee, right? Because Notre Dame is held differently, right? And so, you know, you look at it and say, the other part is the financial. You can't dismiss that. FCS teams usually get big paydays to come play those FBS schools, which is why they do it. And I guarantee you they're going to get a, a, a nice paycheck to play Notre Dame. Right? I'm looking at this real quick. So in 1980, uh, Jack uh, is, is the first time that Grambling made the college football playoffs. So it was sometime around then that that changed. And he they went to the semifinals that year in 1980. I'm trying to find the actual playoff link, and I cannot – find it um because the first year for the playoffs looks like it was 78 so it doesn't look like there was a playoff before 78 and then so uh grambling made it in 1980 and then in 1985 and he they lost in the first round 1989 they lost in the first round so he made the he made the playoffs three times and that was on the i mean way back half of his career i mean he started coaching grambling in 1946 you know what I mean? So like way back half of his career. 
So, and you know, he has multiple national championships, but the point is, is it was always competing against, it's kind of like I won a national championship when I was at Duquesne. We won the mid-major national championship. We beat Monmouth in a bowl game. We didn't go to the postseason and beat North Dakota State, right? Like it's a different deal. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of where it comes from. So I think that's part of the deal is to an attempt to try to give more exposure, help resources wise with these programs. And so I have no problem with any of that. But again, that's not my number one priority. My number one priority is Notre Dame, not Tennessee State or Jackson State or Illinois State or Indiana State or Youngstown State or anybody else. And right now, you know, Notre Dame is a program that's trying to compete for championship, and I don't think this helps. We'll find out. It, it won't hurt if they run the table. Like, if they run – like, sure. well, are you going to be mad if they run the table? No, of course I'm not going to be mad if they run the table. It's not about playing Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. It's about are you giving yourself a chance to compete for championship? And as you said, Ryan, I thought the best the best way of putting it that you said is you've made your small margin for error even smaller. That's essentially the, the biggest part about it, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the biggest thing for me. It, and again, I think someone's have said it a couple of times. An undefeated Notre Dame team is going to make the playoff. Like, it's just, I mean, 12 and 0 Notre Dame is going to make the playoffs. There's an absolute, it's a certainty. An mm-hmm. 11 and 1 team that has one loss to, like, let's say an Ohio State or a Clemson, but then only has only played 11 FBS teams, that makes it a lot harder on yourself. It does mm-hmm. because you're behind the eight ball. From a not not a strength of schedule, but from a full schedule perspective, to the teams that get to play in a conference championship game, you have one less game, so you admit you are behind the eight ball in that sense immediately. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the strength of schedule aspect to it, then you're hurting yourself. That's just my, my end to it. Now, the one thing that would change it a little bit, Ryan, is if they happen to beat USC, Ohio State, and Clemson. And those teams are all really good, and they happen to get upset by a pit or a you know a, a, a Louisville, assuming it's early in the year. Because we've seen that now. We've seen like Clemson lost late to uh, Pitt one year, but they won all their big games. We've seen that with other teams where like they would get beat by somebody that wasn't good. Uh, Ohio State in 2014. That's what helped Ohio State make the playoff in 2014. Was they lost early to a bad team, but they beat all the good teams on their schedule. So they have all these really good wins. So I think the only way that I think right now Notre Dame gets in as an 11-1 team is two things. Number one is they ha- we're talking about with a loss. Number one is you have help. There aren't any other. There's only four teams with one or fewer losses, right? The rest are two loss teams. That could help you. And I think that was the case in, I think it was like 2017 when Bama got in. The only other one-loss team out there was Wisconsin that didn't get in. Everybody else was a two-loss team. The other one would be it would be is if you beat the three, you know, let's assume what everybody's saying, assume that USC Wake Forest, or I mean USC, Ohio State, and Clemson are really, really good, like top ten teams. If you beat all them and and you just have a, a rough day in mid-October to some bad team, that'll still give you a chance to get in because they're gonna play Clemson in November. And no, the, the only problem to that is though, it's that Ohio State and USC are both gonna be earlier games. Ohio State's at the end of September, uh, USC's mid-October. So you better hope that if you're going to lose, it's it's probably between that Ohio State and USC home games 
is going to be is going to be where you want to maybe drop a game because you don't want to drop a game late. But that's the only other thing. But again, we're going to have to kind of look around at a lot of different things and be like, okay, they're going to need help, more help I think than normal, and that's really what this argument comes down to. So, and then Coleman Smith said, Brian, what are your thoughts on adding the thirteenth game? You know, again, a Hawaii a Hawaii is so bad that I don't know if adding Hawaii on top of Tennessee State really does anything. You know what I mean? Like. And it would be another road game. So, you know, I mean, if they want to add it to get a 13th game, I have no problem with that. But they can't just – this thing y'all have noticed, they can't just add a 13th random game. Like, they just can't say, hey, we're going to play so-and-so the week of the college football – you know, the NCAA – or the uh, conference championship weeks. They can't just call BYU and say, hey, BYU, let's play, you know, the week of the conference championship games. There's rules against that. You're only allowed to play 12 regular season games. The only exceptions are – is if you're willing as a non-conference team to go play at Hawaii. That's the thing. And the reason I say you'd, you'd have to get another road game is you don't get a benefit from having Hawaii come to you. The rule was put in place to try to coerce teams to go play at Hawaii. So like Oregon State and who was the other Power Five that played Hawaii last year? UCLA. Wasn't it UCLA? UCLA and Hawaii both beat Hawaii last year. They didn't get a 13th game because – they were both uh, at home. They didn't play Hawaii at Hawaii. The rule only applies to get that 13th game if you play at Hawaii. And you can only do it like once every, I think it's like every like four or five years. You can't like do it every year. So that's why the rule is in place. So Notre Dame would have to petition the NCAA for a 13th game, and it would have to be against an independent, right? Because you're also not going to schedule a team that's in a, that may have a conference championship game that's going to be worth a darn. So you'd have to schedule an independent and hope that that independent is good. That would, that would have to be it. So we, we do got super chat from Charlie Moore. Love to Brian and Ryan from Switzerland. Appreciate that very, very much, uh, Charlie. So Ryan, anything else to add to this before we dive into our, uh, our Q and a, so we are going to, this is going to be a mailbag. So I know a lot of the conversation so far uh, in the, in the chat has been about the topics we've discussed. So, we're either going to wrap up now or y'all need to start firing away with some questions here real quick. But Ryan, do you have anything else that you want to add kind of about this, uh, about this topic? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I, I mean, again, I just think margin for error is the biggest conversation piece for me. Like, that's mm-hmm. just where it is. It's not about what school was added. It's about it's an FCS program. Like, that's just all, all it comes down to. And, and I think that the the margin for error is something that Notre Dame fans need to be very aware of. And, you know, that's why 
that's why, you know, even, you know, even last year when you're struggling against a Toledo team, like that makes you worried at the end of the season. Cause you're like, that's not a good, you know, in- indicator that you were a dominant team against a lower level part of your strength of schedule. So I, I think that that is something that we need to be aware of until Notre Dame is able to schedule a 13th game or mm-hmm. is, you know, does become a part of a conference, which I don't think should ever happen. Like until that happens, you need to be very wary of the, the, negatives that would be associated with scheduling not high caliber opponents so i'll ask you this we've had this conversation here ryan a lot my opinion is well known you just said what you believe why do you because i agree with you i don't want Notre Dame to ever join a conference unless they have no choice yeah uh, why are you against Notre Dame joining a conference I mean, it's a national brand. I mean, one of my biggest things is the fact that, like, I th- I think that students come to Notre Dame from everywhere, and they come because the biggest selling point is that you play a national co- a national schedule. You get to go to USC. You might stay in the Midwest. You might go down to a you know a Miami or a Clemson or what, whatever it might be. Like, that's one of the biggest selling points to me. Is it's and obviously from a financial perspective like you know Notre Dame obviously has their reasons in that department as well but for me it's always just been it's a national brand it's a national sell would like them to continue to schedule uh, to play a national schedule because I think that there are some there are some tough parts about recruiting to a degree but it's easy to sell the fact that like hey you come here you're going to play everywhere you are going to get you know obviously that treatment of playing the best of the best like that's always just been kind of for me my preference for the scheduling aspect of Notre Dame now, there's a, another reaction, overreaction to this that's an error, too. This is from Tyler Bedwell. 2023 playoff is, is likely out of the picture. Even if they run the table, they will have one less FBS win than everyone else in the running. Look, if Notre Dame goes undefeated next year or any other year, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Okay, so let's, yep. not, let's not go too far with this conversation. If Notre Dame goes 11-12-0 with a win over Tennessee State, also with wins over Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, they're going to be in the playoff. The only way that Notre Dame would ever not make the college football playoff as an undefeated team is if, A, their schedule is garbage, and there's four other Power 5 teams that won conferences that are undefeated. That's the only way they're ever not going to make it. So let's not overreact too much in the other direction either, Tyler. And I understand, again, you're, you're, you're in the same spirit of what we're saying, but that's taking it way too far. Notre Dame, with the schedules that they have coming up the next seven, eight years, unless these teams just fall off, an undefeated Notre Dame is in the playoff. I mean, as bad as their schedule was this year, if they would have gone undefeated, they'd have had a win over one ranked opponent. That is it, one ranked opponent, and they are for sure in the playoff. They almost made the playoff this year with zero wins over undefeated over a ranked opponents, and they had a loss. You know, so they're going to get in if they're undefeated. That's um, that's not going to be the case at all. Ryan, do you like the AC? And this again, I've, I've talked about this, so I don't need to share my opinion. Everybody knows my opinion. Do you like the partnership with the ACC then, at least? Yes and no. Am I kind of reading you a little bit? <laughs> It's, I mean, like, I'm in between on it. Like, I, I understand why it is a thing with the, obviously, the allegiance in other sports. So I, I get I get it to a degree. I just wish the ACC was just a more consistent conference. I just feel like there's, you know, at some it's some some years, you, you just have Clemson. I mean, honestly, because Miami's been inconsistent. North Carolina had one pretty solid season, and they've just been up and down, obviously. So 
the consistency of the conferences is where what kind of I get stuck on. But I, I I do like it in a vacuum. It's just I I wish maybe that the marriage would be to a maybe a, a little bit of a stronger conference if that makes sense. Yeah i I like the I like the partnership with the ACC. I do. I don't have a problem with it. I, I you know, again, in the ACC is down now, but there's going to be years and six or seven years. I'm like, man, this, this ACC juggernaut is, you know what I mean? With Miami and Florida state. I mean, I'm hopeful fo- for fo- it. College football cyclical, right? Like, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, you know I mean? Again, the last time Notre Dame won a championship, if the ACC was what it is now, two of the five best teams in the country every year were ACC teams and they played each other every year. It's Florida state and Miami. You know, so so it's going to be cyclical. I don't think the ACC has ever been or ever will be. At least I haven't seen it. Like you know, like the SEC, just because there aren't enough conference, you know, teams in that conference that care enough about football to, you know, invest the money to be great at it. But I think the ACC will get better and will be a strong conference again. Because I think I think. You know, I, I don't know if we're ever going to, you know, in any time in the near future, going to see Miami and Florida State like they were. I don't know if we'll see that. But Clemson and one of them could be that way. You know what I mean? And that's where I think we could see it. And, you know, you hope that Mac Brown can get North Carolina better and NC State. And to me, it, it's not necessarily about having great teams, Ryan. The thing that hurts the ACC right now is there just aren't any good teams, really. I mean, beyond yeah. one or two a year. I mean, like the one year, the one year Clemson beat Pitt, in the ACC title game, that Pitt team finished the year seven and seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's embarrassing, you know, it but is. it's get, you know, if either, either Clemson, Miami or Florida state is elite, but then you need to have like five or six, like just really good teams, like good top 20 teams, 2025 teams. That'll be good enough. You mm-hmm. just can't have it be a league where literally you've got like one or two ranked teams in it. And that's even sometimes questionable. Like the ACC this year was, I mean, it was bad. It, 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 go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, like Wake Forest was one of the surprise teams, right? And, I, and I, I just kept pushing back all year. I'm like, I don't think Wake Forest is very good. It's just that the ACC is not good at all this year, you know? And when you have a Clemson that's been a, a power over the last few years and they're down and the rest of the conference hasn't been very good, then that's when you kind of run into the, oh, well, yeah. I mean, you you were aligned a little bit with the ACC, but it wasn't a very good conference. So, like, that also hurts to shrink the schedule co- conversation mm-hmm. to Notre Dame as well. So, that's just my biggest push is I, I I hope that the AC gets to a point because I want Miami to be very good under Crystal Ball. Mm-hmm. I want them to be a good team. I want there to be strength in that conference. I want Florida State to get back at some point with Mike Norvell, hopefully. To at least be like a nine and three team every year. And exactly. you know what I mean? You need that. Because let's 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 discuss that real quick, right? Because what I think people need to understand, and there's a really good comment by Alex B about playing an FCS team for Notre Dame that I that I want to get to that I thought is is I never thought about. But I think he made a great point. But it's not just good for Notre Dame because they play those teams, right? But it's also good because when Miami is – if Miami is really good under Mario Cristobal and if Florida State's really good, like a 10-2 and two team every year, they're not going to necessarily take away from Notre Dame as much as they're going to take away from Bama, from LSU, from Clemson, from Florida – right? Like that's partly why – that's part of the reason Bama has had the success it's had. It has been the decline of Miami, Florida State, and Florida. Let I mean, it's not a coincidence that Alabama's ascension and the level of dominance they've had recruiting came at the same time as Miami and, and, and more so Miami and Florida, but then to a degree Florida State after 2013 
went down, right? Because that 2013 Florida State team could have played with Alabama, right? I mean, they beat Auburn, who beat Alabama that year, right? I mean, so those teams going down, all of a sudden, the recruits they used to get, Bama's now go get, going and getting. all Like, they're just getting all those guys. And so it, you, people say, I want parity in college football. I want, I want more good I – I hate the word parity. I want more good teams. That's what I want. I don't want parity. I want more good. I don't want it at the NFL where it's like kind of bringing everybody else down. I want to lift other teams up. And Miami and Florida State becoming forces on the recruiting trail again helps Notre Dame because they're going to take more kids from Bama and Clemson than they are going to take from Notre Dame. That's what I think about it. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, you know, Notre Dame is going to pull a couple kids out of out of Florida every year. They're going to pull a couple kids from down in the SEC territory, but – you're right. That is Alabama country, you know, and it has been dominated. I mean, why has Alabama been so good? Yes, they have a great coach. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. But also, you win in college football by recruiting. Let's right. just call it what it is, man. Like, you need it's that old, you know, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And I think mm-hmm. especially in college football, like, you need players. So I agree. And I, I want, and I really actually did like the Mario Cristobal hire. Not that I think mm-hmm. Mario Cristobal is a great coach. I think he's a yeah. good coach. Good coach. He is yeah. a very good recruiter. And I think that's going to yeah. be the difference. And he's put a decent staff together too. That's an, another important thing. Like it's not a great staff, but it's a good staff. You know, like I don't love Josh Gaddis as an offense coordinator. But he's not terrible. I mean, he just was part of a Michigan team that made the playoff. I mean, I don't think it was necessary because he was a great coordinator, but he'll recruit well. Mm-hmm. And he's a good coach. You know, they're, uh, who's their, who's the, Oh gosh, I'm I'm drawing a blank now on who they hired as their defensive coordinator. Oh, that, gonna... that just that just went back to Baltimore, right? Uh, did he did he leave? He was the linebacker coach at Baltimore, went to Michigan, and I think they just hired him as the defensive coordinator in Baltimore now. The Michigan. Defense gotcha. I thought no, no, no. I meant Miami. Oh, Miami. They hired I'm Kevin sorry. Steele, right? Kevin Steele. Got it, now yeah. here's why that's a good hire. I think that's Kevin Steele is a very mediocre defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. but you know what? Kevin Steele has got a reputation for. It's a great recruiter. Sure. And at Miami, you don't necessarily – let's be honest. If Miami's recruiting like Miami's supposed to recruit, they don't need a great defensive coordinator because he's going to have phenomenal talent to work with. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the reality of it. So he's not a bad defensive coordinator. He's just he's just okay. Really good recruiter. And that's where he's kind of made his bones over the years. So, um, I mean, look, he recruited the players that, that Brent Venables eventually inherited and turned into a really good defense. <laughs> you know, they gave up 70 to West Virginia because he's not a very good defensive coordinator, but he can certainly recruit. So let him recruit for three, four years as you build yourself back up. And when you're ready to go compete for championship, go find a real defensive coordinator. Brian Van Gorder. Yeah, <laughs> no, I said a real defensive coordinator. <laughs> so... This is a point that Alex B made. I want to bring this up. He said he suddenly he agreed with what we're saying. He says, I don't like the timing of it. I'd rather them wait until 2025, the last year of the 14 playoff to play in FCS school. Now that's an interesting one. Now I actually would go further and say not the last year of the power of the, of the 14 playoff, but I would say I have way less of an issue with this type of thing. If it was in a year where it was a 12 team playoff. Because if Notre Dame's 11-1, and one, and I don't care if they played the worst FCS team in America and beat them by 100, they're a playoff team at 11-1. and one. The 12-team mm-hmm. playoff, Notre Dame's getting in at 11-1. I don't care who they played. Oh, I sure. mean, they would have got in this year as a five seed, and they beat zero-ranked opponents. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing. What do you think about that, Ryan, if they were going to do something like this, occasionally do something like this where there's a game where there's some meaning behind it, right? You know, maybe a former player is at an FCS school. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say Mo Crum takes over an, F, uh, an FCS program, right? He's the now D coordinator. What? He was at Western Kentucky. I'm not sure where he's at now. But let's say Mo Crum is the head coach and you want to kind of schedule a game with a former player to kind of help him build up his program, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, if it's in a year where it's it's a um, – he's the d- new D coordinator at Ole Miss. Uh, I don't have as much of a problem with that. Or, you know, I, would, I still don't like the idea of playing an FCS, but my whole notion of it impacting your ability to play for a championship is gone because yeah. if we accept the uh, the premise of – what the 12 team playoff will be. I mean, we don't know what it's going to look like, but because they're all the renegotiations. But when the proposal was embraced initially, it was Notre Dame can never be a top four seat. An 11 and one Notre Dame team with a win over an FCS school is still a five seed. A 12 and 0 Notre Dame team that doesn't play an FCS school and beats everybody by 100 is still a five seed. <laughs> so it right. doesn't matter as much. Yeah. What would your thoughts be on a game like this at that point in time? I mean, I mean, that completely changed the narrative for me, right? Like my, my main argument was that you're, you're lessening the margin of error, but in that, in that, this scenario that you're talking about the expansion of the playoffs, Alex, right? The margin mm-hmm. for error just got a lot bigger. So even right. if you're lessening that, it's still bigger than it was before. Right. So I have no, I Notre have no Dame could be a two loss team and have a shot at the playoff in a 12 team playoff. That's just mm-hmm. the reality of it. So Again, because at this point in time, the whole FCS thing is gone. I don't. After this, there's no point in being pissed about future FCS opponents because, like that whole you've never played an FCS team is gone. So, whatever. If it's not impacting your championship opportunities, then I don't care. As long as there's meaning behind, like I don't want them to play Indiana State. And this is no disrespect to Indiana State. I mean, Chris O'Leary, I believe, played at Indiana State. It's no disrespect to them, but there's no value in it. There's no value in playing Eastern Illinois. There's no value in any in Youngstown State. The value comes from, you know, we're there's got to be some meaning behind it. We're propping up, not propping up, but like we're helping out a former player who's the head coach or AD at a school. We're, you know, we're trying to 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 have this moment with an HBCU, whatever the case may be. There's got to be more to it than just scheduling an easy game. As long as there's something like that, after the after the college football playoff expands and it will expand, I don't care. I mean, because the whole championship thing, Ryan, is gone. So that's that's Alex. That's a really interesting, very interesting way of looking at that. I never, I never really thought about that. Like, because right now, my whole yeah. world, Ryan, is the fourteen playoff. I, I haven't even really thought about what it's going to be like after that. I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't really think about the expansion too much because it's just so far into the future. Mm-hmm. So, Alex, I appreciate the insight because that's something that is going to happen, right? Yeah. So it's it's an interesting thing to think about in the future. Cause I, cause I think, I think the whole idea of not playing an FCS is something that I embraced and cherish and appreciate, but it's also not something I'm, I'm going to get too pissed about. It, it pisses me off for five minutes and then it's like, okay, as long as they can still go play for championship, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that, that my whole, my whole thing is it comes down to. It comes down to the idea of does this help or hurt Notre Dame's ability to go play for a championship? And that really, at the end of the day, is the only thing that matters. Truly matters to me. Like, I'll get over the whole they've never played an FCS thing, whatever. Because it's not going to be that long to where there is no team left in there. I mean, it's what now it's what USC and UCLA, and I think USC is about to play an FCS team here coming up. 
So it's about to be just UCLA. And at that point in time, nobody cares <laughs> because <laughs> it's UCLA. The other thing, too, is, is pointing to the basketball team playing Howard is really apples to oranges. It has no yeah. bearing because they're both Division One teams. Mm-hmm. Like basketball is different. It's you're playing a Division One team. It's not going to. And if you if because Howard had a five star kid sign there one year, right? I mean, you're, you're yeah, playing, recently you're yeah. playing you're playing five on five, so getting one high ranked recruit completely changes the dynamic comparative. If if it's like a right. so a Jackson State signing um the the corner wide receiver the the number one recruit what was his name um Travis Hunter Travis Hunter so right. they signed Travis Hunter great player right great recruit I'm sure he'll be an outstanding player for Jackson State I'm sure he'll still be a future first round selection, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But does he move the needle where Nate now are the best team in the FCS? Mm-hmm. Not really, not really, right. but what, but one guy on Howard potentially, or another school like that, if they get a full high four, a five-star type of basketball player, then that completely changes a little bit because it's a five on five situation. Very comparative. There's also some situations too, when you look at the Howard game and you look at their coaching staff, you know, Kenneth Blakeney was a Duke guy. Right. So there's that Mike Bray connection. Rod Bellanis, who'd been a longtime Mike Bray assistant, is now an assistant coach at Howard. So again, in that situation, it there's benefit to both sides. We benefit because you know we're getting a game and you know we're getting some some publicity because we're playing because they played the cool thing about that was they actually played, it wasn't like Howard coming to Notre Dame. They actually went out there and played them, which is interesting, which is not something Notre Dame will. I mean, you don't ever see FC FBS teams going playing at FCS schools just financially it makes it doesn't make a lot of sense so there's a lot of reasons why that Delaware game happened and not it, but it's just it's again it's a just a different scenario because it's all division one and basketball it's all division one Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.